The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. My semester is done, thank the Lord. <laughs> and uh, one of the things I noticed this past semester, well, a few things. Uh, one is uh, I am, what did you say, Jessica, a feelings and ideas person. Uh, and this past semester, I was required to take the methods of social work research class, which absolutely, I think, none of my fellow students looks forward to. We're absolutely required to. We have to. And many of us dread it. And many of us have math anxiety. And we look back to old, you know, trigonometry things that we failed. And we think this is going to be like that. And it was not like that at all. It actually was a profoundly enjoyable course. The professor did an amazing job of relating the work of research to why we practice social work in the first place. Because we want to know what will work. We want to know what has evidence. And more than anything else, we want to be curious about what happens and why. So one of the other reasons I love the class is we had an opportunity to experiment on ourselves. The second half of the class, we had to do what's called a single case study, a single subject study. And that single subject was ourselves. This was a busy year for me. And sometimes when I am busy, I have some less than optimal habits. Sometimes that's because I have what's called persistent depressive disorder, dysthymia, a fancy word that means sometimes, especially in the morning, it is really tough to get going. Now, persistent depressive disorder is manageable, and I manage it. And it's not like major depressive disorder. It's just that when I experience stress, that stress kind of takes me down a little bit. And so one of the things I noticed is that in the mornings this past spring, I would use this friend, frenemy, as my alarm clock, wake me up early most days. And instead of just hitting the alarm and moving on with my day, I'd say, okay, I'm going to have a little chance to check in here. Five minutes would become 10 minutes, and 10 minutes would become 15 minutes, and 15 minutes would become 20 minutes. I see from some of your head nods that some of you have the same pattern. <laughs> that plays into my dysthymia. I feel like I'm wasting time. I feel like I'm not starting the day intentionally. And this is where some of the negative self-talk begins. I feel guilty. I feel like I'm not being mindful. And so this is a pattern I wanted to break. And the single subject study gave me an opportunity to do that. For four weeks, I took a look at how I could change a problematic behavior. And these were the results. On the left side, the vertical axis, the BDI scale. That's the Beck Depression Inventory. That is a self-scoring mechanism for depressive symptoms. It's kind of out there in the public domain. You can go and take a look at it and fill it out yourself if you're curious about such things. And by the way, if you fill it out and you find something that troubles you, well, find someone to talk to about it. What you'll see along the bottom are the number of days in the study. 28 days. Seven four-week periods. You'll see the scores over there on the left 
a little higher than the rest, right? That's my baseline. And by the way, you see the BDI skills go all the way up to 45. It really is manageable, folks. I want you to hear this. It's a little higher. Seven days, waking up, mindless phone checking, didn't change a thing. Second, the B section, the B phase, old-fashioned alarm clock. <laughs> Left my phone in the other room. Woke up, went immediately up to our third floor, my little meditation and yoga studio. 20 to 30 minutes of mindful yoga immediately. Mindfulness is my daily spiritual practice. But here's the thing. I'm like you in a lot of ways. The things I know that I love, that I know are good for me, are sometimes the things that I don't put first. <laughs> this went first. And you see pretty clearly there, right? My depressive symptoms dropped. C phase, similar, but a little bit different. Not mindful yoga in the morning. Just get out of bed and do anything else besides check my phone. Clean up after the pet rabbit. Clean the house. Make breakfast. It helped. And then it went back to the B phase again to conclude. 20 to 30 minutes of mindful yoga. So now I have the research staring right in front of me and I've shared it all with you to help hold me accountable. Now the life change that I've hoped for is going to arrive and I'm never going to go back to old patterns and behaviors, right? If only we were built that way. <laughs> and actually, the thing is, I don't feel any shame or guilt about going too often to my phone, even if it did exacerbate some behaviors that are harmful for me. I actually recognize that going to my phone in five minutes become 10 minutes, 15, 20 was actually an unskillful way to self-soothe. It was an unskillful way to try and enter the day with a little bit more calmness. It just didn't help. There's actually a whole big study recently that you may have seen about this question. Is social media harmful for us? Does it cause loneliness? Well, the results, as with most research, is mixed. It doesn't cause anything. It can become a wonderful source for connection, for building a relationship. It can become a way to feel profoundly lonely and alienated. It all depends on how we use it. This desire for sustainable connection, this desire for relationship that helps us really feel a part of something, it goes back to the very beginning of Wellsprings. And it leads me today to, as part of this Words That Work series, Focus on words that work for us at Wellsprings in a way that no other words work. Charged full with the charge of the soul. Our mission here. You might wonder why I'm taking a cut at this one, because we hear about it 52 times a year from our worship leaders. But I don't think I focused on it in a long time in an explicit way. These words come from Walt Whitman. I sing the body electric, the armies of those I love and girth me and I engirth them. They will not let me off until I go with them, respond to them and discorrupt them and charge them full with the charge of the soul. 
Many of you in this room have taken Wellsprings 1.0. You might know where these words come from in the history of Wellsprings. They're right there at our beginning after we had led the first series and groups of Wellsprings 2.0 listening to our lives. And we heard through this time, what did people get out of the experience? Energizing connection. Real relationship. Out of busy lives, tired, stressed, so much going on, the opportunity to join with other people and show up and allow ourselves to be seen. The original group of folks who went through those small groups found it energizing and connecting. If you think about it, a small group really isn't anything that special. And in many ways, it's profoundly special. A group of people who choose to show up and vow to see one another and vow to be seen. In this day and age, it's a fairly radical choice. There's all kinds of fads. There's all kinds of promises. There's all kinds of gurus. There's all kinds of teachers. There's all kinds of ways that promise this is going to be the thing that's going to enlighten you, awaken you. In spirituality and many other things, we live in an age of adjective inflation. The greatest, the best, the newest, the most novel. But actually, I think it's the most common that ends up enlivening us, that ends up awakening us. The willingness to be seen, And the willingness to see. There's many different ways we can get a charge. Whether those charges end up giving us energy or electrocuting us or burning us out or frying us. It's about the choices we make and how we choose to connect. I think of this way. Show the next slide. We live in an age of lightning rods. (laughs) There's a whole bunch of ways to get energized. But I think the second question that opens up is, is that energy grounded? I think we all need grounding mechanisms to have a place for our energy to go. So that charge full with the charge of the soul isn't just a matter of getting the energy. It's a matter of spending it and sharing it wisely. Now, the story I'm going to share with you right now is actually a story I shared with you maybe four weeks ago. It is, for me, a word that works, or a story that works. It's the image of what happens in the moment before the Buddha's enlightenment. You have often perhaps seen this image. The Buddha sitting there underneath the Bodhi tree, assaulted, if you will, by lust and doubt and all the things that would keep him from awakening. And he doesn't fight any of it off at all. In fact, he welcomes it. That's what the open hand is for. The mudra. The hand gesture. And there's a second one that's just as important. 
the Buddha points down to the ground. Openness and groundedness. And say the Buddha was in that moment chargeful with the charge of the soul. Now, the thing is, as I said, I shared this with you just four or five weeks ago. And you may think, and you may be justified in thinking, that he just finished his semester. He is all out of ideas, and so he is repeating himself. (laughs) And you know what? You may be right in that matter. But wrong in imputing that intention to me. Because this is the nature of what it is to have words that work. We return to them over and over and over again. And so when I thought of this image of the grounded and receptive Buddha, I actually conceptualized it in a way I never had before. I had thought of this and this as separate, but they're not. Think of it, if you will, like an electrical circuit. <laughs> it flows some from some place and to another. I think the Buddha was giving us an invitation about how to live chargeful with the charge of the soul in a grounded way. Both hands are needed. In all of our lives, so often we find ourselves busy or overwhelmed or at sometimes maybe not enough to do, too much energy or too little. So often the balancing is being able to take a look at where is the inflow and where is the outflow. How are we living a life that is grounded? And most often what grounds us isn't sexy at all. It is choosing to show up. It is once again choosing to be seen and choosing to see. There is very little in our world, especially in the things that people try to sell us, that praises repetition. (laughs) But I am here to praise repetition today. The most basic, commonplace things that we learn to show up for over and over and over again. These are the words that work. This is how spiritual practice goes to work on all of us. And ultimately, this is how transformation happens. The daily acts of formation that aren't sexy at all. When we choose to bless you, when we choose to bless you, there we go, nice. (laughs) When we choose to show up in this way, we actually may uh, question what we mean by that word growth. So many of us want it. And so often growth is offered as a kind of progress that is about always moving forward. The novel, the new, the fresh. One of the things I love about regular spiritual practice is that it is training for my life. When I no longer feel all that new or all that fresh anymore, (laughs) the truth is that happens to all of us. As we allow ourselves to return to the common things, we will learn what it is to come back home to ourselves and to our experience. Reverend Lee talked about this last week in her beautiful message about wherever you go, there you are. 
especially when it comes to quote unquote spiritual stuff, that yearning for the, the new, the now, the, the next. It can be a cycle that people who are searchers or seekers find themselves caught in. One of the first things we did at Wellsprings was a um, uh, big public event. I think one of you, yes, in the, in the room, two of you in the room remember this. We had someone come to town who was uh, involved with founding the Omega Institute. I love the Omega Institute. I've been on retreat there. It's great. And I picked her up at the airport and we started talking. And I had a question I wanted to ask her. And I didn't want it to sound too snarky, but just snarky enough. And I said, well, because I've met some of these people over the years, and actually I have been one of those people over the years. I said, what do you do about people who just keep coming to retreats over and over and over again, looking for the next big thing? And they never seem to change. <laughs> they actually seem to grow more miserable and more unhappy. And, and I remember the way she said it. Without shame, without blame, she said, oh, yeah, retreat junkies. <laughs> it's a thing. Years later, when I was on retreat, an eight-day Vipassana retreat, a silent retreat, I got a perspective that was so different than a retreat junkie, if you will, looking for the next high or the next big thing. It actually was just as the retreat was coming to a close. Now, keep in mind, I hadn't spoken with my fellow retreat members the entire week. And so language felt like a weird thing to be able to use again, a tool that was out of shape. And as we started to work through the experience together, we all talked about, you know, the first three or four days being silent. Good God, is it noisy in here? And then many of us said, next three to four days, that was blissful. Except one of us in the circle who I've stayed friends with since that retreat she said, actually, you know, the first three to four days as I sit here now wasn't that hard. The hard part starts now. How do I bring this, this sense of connection, this sense of groundedness, back out into my life? Because my life isn't on retreat. I want to bring this to my spouse, to my children, to my workplace. That's where the work is. A few months after that, she and I checked in. I said, how are you doing with that intention to have the retreat quality show up in your life? And she talked about sustainable connection. I always remember these words. She said, my friends, my community, she actually used the word Sangha because she's part of an intentionally spiritual Buddhist community. She said, they teach me how to stay. They teach me how to stay. Years ago, I read about a book that is a very compassionate argument, very impassioned, but non-judgmental argument against suicide with the simple title, Stay. I've referenced that book at times in the past. And I always feel compelled to say, thank you for staying. Thank you for being here.
And I mean that. Some of you have filled one of these out already. This is a wonderful practice from our generosity and gratitude team. It is a letter that, as you can see, says thank you for. A letter that you can write to Wellsprings for something that you are grateful that you have received here. And yes, please tell us more. You can fill this out and hand it in. And then you will get someone else's letter delivered to you. And you will have an opportunity to connect and to receive gratitude and to hear just a little bit more about someone else's story. We do this so that we can continue to deepen what it is to stay within spiritual community. What it is to be charged full with the charge of the soul. I have read some of these already. They are profoundly beautiful and vulnerable and heart opening. And in absolutely none of these have the Red Seas parted. (laughs) But I think they are a beautiful manifestation of exactly what we mean when we say the burning bush is blazing everywhere. That the spirit shows up in our lives and revelation is always happening if we pay attention. What does it mean to be charged full with the charge of the soul? I think it means to remember what grounds us, what allows us to stay, what invites us to be real, not framed or filtered or seen as perfect or anything else that none of us are, but to show up with the face that we wear just as we are, and be seen, and be beloved. May your lives be charged full with the charge of the soul, my friends. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? Breathing in. And breathing out, we know that our lives are already inspirited, are in the spirit, with the spirit, possible only because we are both receptive and we are rooted, that we are both open and we are grounded. May we trust Not just the wider universe, but trust ourselves to know what it is to live a life of sustainable energy, to allow ourselves to take in and to offer back, to allow ourselves to ask for help when we need it, and to offer help and love when it is requested in us and from us. May we take just a moment before we go back out into the rest of our lives, into the busyness, into the conditioning, into the things we just do because we've done them for a while. And thank each other for staying. Thank each other for our presence here. 
It is these tiny little acts. These acts of generosity, grace, and gratitude that create this community. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.